We're going to start in Exodus chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 7 through 10. 7 through 10 from Exodus chapter 3. I was about to do the woman caught in adultery, and then the Lord just kind of put this on my heart. And I think it kind of fits pretty good with John's testimony even. And so hopefully we'll work our way through this today. We're going to look at just different uh, little passages about uh, Moses, the beginning of Moses' life. And very simply, I just want you to see how God was at work in Moses' life and what he did and how he used his life for his own glory and for the joy of Moses. And then I want you to think about that in your own circumstances, okay? I want you to think a little bit today about where you can look back and see how God's been at work. Let's look together in Exodus chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. <coughs> the scripture says, the Lord said, verse 7, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them. I love that. Come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and a spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Verse 9. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. When can you look back at your life and see God at work? How's your relationship to God look in your life? Does it go like this? Or does it go like this? <laughs> right? It goes like the second way, doesn't it? And you've seen times where you felt real close to the Lord and he was growing you and you were excited and then you probably had seasons where things were kind of dry or empty or you're not sure the Lord was present or you just weren't even seeking the Lord, right? How has the Lord worked in those things to prepare you for today? I, I just love Wednesday night. I wish you all could have been there too. This was really good this morning as well. John was so relaxed on Wednesday and we just sat by the fire and he started rattling off all these different things. And as we thought about them, when we were reflected and looked back, we could see how the Lord had been with him. It was kind of like your old uh, footsteps analogy, you know? <laughs> There's one set of prints in the stand. Well, where was, where was the Lord then? Well, he was carrying you then. And there were some times in John's life that John wasn't where he, he'd tell you that. That's not where he was supposed to be. And he was away from the Lord and yet the Lord kept tugging on him and he used people like Rick and Vicky and Millie and Jeannie and Megan to love him and to draw him back in. Aren't you thankful for the people God put in your life that keeps pulling you back to him? Well, Moses had some people like that too today. And so we're going to look a little bit about his story and hopefully you'll be encouraged um, about this. So we're going to be in Exodus. You want to turn over to Exodus chapter one. We're going to start in verse 11. The first thing I want you to see this morning is that the Lord's plans are greater. The Lord's plans are greater. Give me, hopefully, a quick review. Can you guys listen fast if I talk fast? You won't fall asleep on me. Joseph, remember the story of Joseph? What is he famous for? His coat, right? Coat of many colors. Joseph was one of uh, 12 brothers, and Joseph was the favorite. 
So if you remember the story, I'm going to go through the whole thing. But Joseph ends up persecuted by his brothers. They First, they were going to kill him. And one of the brothers, I think it's Reuben, talks him out of that. Everybody, Joseph's probably really glad for Reuben, right? <laughs> so they end up, they throw him in a pit. And they give their dad the bad news. They take back the coat. The coat's got blood on it. Oh, Joseph was eaten by a terrible, ferocious animal. He's gone. So Jacob is just, you know, heartbroken. His favorite son's gone. And actually what they did, they sell him to the Ishmaelites, right? So Joseph gets sold. He ends up in the house of Potiphar. He actually starts doing really well, like in Potiphar's house. He's an incredible manager. Potiphar notices that. He raises him up, gives him more responsibility. And Potiphar's... uh, house is doing really well under Joseph until one day Potiphar's wife decides she'd like a little bit of Joseph. And so she tries to advance on him and Joseph's like, how could I do such a thing and sin against who? God, right? And that's what a great point to remember. Joseph recognized God, acknowledged God in that sin, not just himself or Potiphar, but God. Joseph runs away from Potiphar's wife. Potiphar's wife is really angry. And when Potiphar gets home, then she gives her story, right? False accusation. Potiphar throws Joseph in jail. Joseph in jail for a couple years until the baker and the cup bearer before the king end up coming into jail as well. Long story short, Joseph interprets the Pharaoh's dreams Pharaoh brings him out to serve. And the next thing you know, Joseph rises up again, all the way to the second in the kingdom of Egypt. A Hebrew, an Israelite, (laughs) is the second in command in all of Egypt. And through his dreams, the Lord uses it to preserve his people. There's going to be a huge time of influx of grain and food. And then there's going to be a great famine for seven years. And because of Joseph's interpretation, The people and then the government of Egypt stores up the grain. So during the lean years, they're able to make it through the famine. And God uses that to preserve his people. Joseph's brothers even come back and uh, through some trickery and a whole great story. I don't have time to share this morning. Then they realize that, oh, this is their brother who's risen up. Well, in Exodus chapter 1, if you read before up to verse 10, you'll find out that as time goes by, guess who gets forgotten? Joseph. Joseph gets forgotten, and yet all of these Hebrews are in the land of Egypt, and the Egyptians still held an edge on them, and they begin to enslave them. So let's look, if you would, in verse 11 and see what the Egyptians are doing to the Israelites after the time of Joseph has passed. The scripture says, so they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, And they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, that is the Israelites, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and they worked them ruthlessly. Verse 14, they made their lives bitter with harsh labor and brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields and all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. So again, these times have really changed in Egypt, have they, since Joseph was there, right? The Egyptians are very much hateful of the Hebrews. They're oppressing them as slaves or slave labor and just putting it on more and more. It gets worse from there. Look at verse 15. The king of Egypt, Pharaoh, said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shipra and Pua, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. 
This is how angry and how far we've come from Joseph. Now the Pharaoh is trying to kill Hebrew boy children. Verse 17, the midwives, the scripture says, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Again, bloom where you're planted, right? (laughs) Where the Lord puts you, magnify him. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? I love their answer. Verse 19, the midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. They're a lot tougher than you Egyptian ladies are, (laughs) right? So look in verse 20, God rewards the midwives. So God was kind to the midwives and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Again, God blessing in the midst of struggle. If you're in struggle today, let the Lord speak to your heart. God can work in the midst of struggle. He does it all through the life of Moses. Verse 22, then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. Can you imagine? What if one people group in our country decided that they wanted to oppress another people group and they had control in the government and they said, we want you to go and kill all the babies, boys of this one people group. I can't hardly even fathom that, can you? And that is what was going on here in Egypt under Pharaoh. Now here's the thing. Even though Pharaoh's plan is wicked, God's plans are greater. Amen. Think about even briefly just about the church through the ages. How many times has the church been under a wicked rule or evil uh, leadership? Right? You realize that the church that came to pass in Jesus' day did not come under a democratic leadership that had a Christian foundation, right? It came under a guy by the name of Caesar who thought he was God. And that's where Christianity was born. God has no problem making Christianity to flourish in the worst of circumstances. So don't be troubled today. Sometimes I know as we get older, we look things and we're like, oh, everything's so bad. Guess what? That's not a problem for the Lord. His plans are greater. And so God is greater than the mightiest Pharaoh and he can deliver no matter the circumstances. And let's look how the Lord delivers in chapter two. We're gonna look at Moses' first rescue, the first time God rescues Moses. So again, maybe you can think about times God has rescued you in your life. Chapter 2, verse 1. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. And she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. And his sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Verse five, then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe and her attendants were walking along the riverbank and she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it and she opened it and saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. And she named him Moses saying, I drew him up 
out of the water. What a story, right? Because you imagine, again, being Jochebed. Jochebed is Moses' mother. She has this beautiful baby boy, and she knows if any Egyptian sees him, his life is in jeopardy. She hides him for three months, but she knows she's not going to be able to do that hardly any longer. So what does she do? Talk about an incredible amount of faith, right? She takes her little baby, she gets this little basket, and she coats it with pitch and tar so it will float, it won't leak, and she lays Moses in the bulrushes in the Nile River. Again, that's where the babies were supposed to be thrown, was into the Nile River to drown and die. And she puts Moses in the bulrushes. Again, God's plans are greater than any man's wicked schemes, right? And so what happens? <laughs> well, Moses has an older sister. Can you thank the Lord for older sisters? Maybe once in a while, right? <laughs> okay. And so this older sister, Miriam, is looking out over her younger brother. And I can just kind of imagine her spying and looking through the bulrushes and kind of checking things out. And she notices Pharaoh's daughter makes her way down to the Nile uh, to bathe. And she has all these attendants around her. And while she's there, guess what she spots? What she hears. Maybe it's a good thing Moses was a crying baby, right? And she notices this baby in the basket. And as she lifts up the basket out of the water, she recognizes immediately this is a Hebrew boy. And Miriam is on the spot. Isn't she Moses' sister? Oh, would you like me to find someone to help nurse that child for you? This is so awesome. <laughs> Who does Miriam get? Jochebed, Moses' mother. In a situation that is so desperate that there looks like there's no hope, there's no way out, God works it out that Moses' mother is able to nurse her own son in the princess of Egypt's quarters. <laughs> like, how does this work? That's what God can do for his glory and our joy, Right? And so the scripture says that over time, after finally Jochebed nurses him, she gives him to the princess. I'm calling her the princess, Pharaoh's daughter. And Moses is raised up in Egypt's highest palace. Isn't that incredible? Pharaoh has been trying to kill these people off, and the Lord has put Moses right in underneath him. <laughs> How the Lord works is beyond us, right? But that's why we have to trust him and honor him and respect him. God has saved Moses in spite of the circumstances, and the man who will lead the Israelites out of Egyptian bondage will be raised in the house of Pharaoh. Isn't God amazing? Here's my challenge to you briefly this morning. What obstacles are you facing? Where's the hurt at today? Preacher, I got bills. I got no way. I don't know how I'm going to pay them. Preacher, I got some sickness that I'm facing, and I just don't know how the Lord's going to deliver that. How's he going to use that for his glory? Preacher, I'm trying to raise these girls or these boys, and I'm so scared in the culture that they're in. I don't see how there's any way they're going to make it through safely. I'm encouraging you today to trust the Lord, right? Reach back out to him and ask him to lead. Are you willing to let the Lord do the rescuing? Will you obey as he leads? Well, here's another thing that's pretty powerful to me, is that sometimes we get rescued in spite of our sins. Look down at verse 11. Praise the Lord for this. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and he watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people, looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and he hit him in the sand. 
The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? Verse 14, the man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. And when Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh, and he went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Everybody tracking with the story there, right? Moses' anger, by the way, was justified, but his actions were not. If you do the right thing at the wrong time, it's the wrong thing. You tracking with that? That's some hard words, isn't it? The right thing at the wrong time (laughs) is the wrong thing. Moses was angry. He saw an Egyptian who was ruthlessly beating one of his fellow people, one of his brothers. And you'll notice the way that the scripture words, it kind of Moses looked around, didn't he, right? He knew what he was about to do was not good. And he, he killed, he murdered the Egyptian, then he just buries him in the sand. But he thinks he's in the clear because he thinks he nobody he spotted him. Later on, he sees a couple of Hebrew boys fighting and he pulls the boy that's in the wrong, says, what are you doing this to your brother? Who are you to judge me? Does that sound familiar? That's like a common thing today, isn't it, right? Who are you to judge me? <laughs> and that Hebrew boy says to Moses, are you going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian? Uh-oh. Sometimes that's why we're afraid to call people on things, aren't we? Because we know we have things in our own past. We don't want people to pull out on us. And Moses knew that it was out, and he also knew it wouldn't be long. And the scripture says that Pharaoh was taking after his life. This is the first 40 years of Moses' life. And Moses flees from Egypt. And here's what I want to tell you, that in spite of his sins, God still protected him and was going to use him for his purpose. Have you messed up today? Have you been through the list of Bible characters and their messes? I didn't bring the whole list today, but it doesn't take long, right? Abraham, what did he do? Well, he lied about his wife to protect his own skin. Do uh, you remember a guy by the name of Jonah? <laughs> he ran the wrong way, right? Do you remember a guy by the name of David? He cheated on his wife and had the lady he was cheating with murdered her husband. Uh, these are the people that are in Hebrews chapter 11, by the way, that have great faith. So if you made a mess of things today, if you will trust your Lord today and humble yourself before him, he can still do great things with your life because that's what he loves to do. And that's what he's in the habit of doing. Okay, let's finish up here just a little bit. I want you to see 80 years in the making. This is so amazing when I think about this. 80 years. So it was 40 years. Moses is up here in Egypt, but then he abandons Egypt and he goes and flees. And we're going to see him come back 40 years later. Look in chapter three, verse one. Here the scripture says, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. And so Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. Verse 4, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. Moses said, here I am. By the way, just a quick aside. If the Lord ever speaks to you, this is the response, right? Here I am. Samuel will do the same thing. Isaiah will do the same thing. Verse five, 
Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Verse 7, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So what the scripture tells us in the book of Acts chapter 7 in verse 23, this is Stephen's speech actually where he's talking the people through of the day he's about to get stoned for what he's about to say. He's telling the story of God's grace through the years. And in Acts chapter 7 verse 23, he says, when Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. He will be 80 years old when the Lord appears to him in the bush. In Acts chapter 7, verse 30, after 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. Moses has been gone for 40 years. You think anybody hardly remembers him? How many of you think that the, the most effective time of your life will be when you're 80 years old? Right? I should be retired and done by then, right? <laughs> That's the way we think of things, right? There has been no uh, now water turned to blood. There's been no plagues. There's been no plague of the firstborn. There's been no crossing of the Red Sea. There's been no cloud at, by day or fire by night. There's been no manna in the wilderness. None of that has even come to pass. And Moses is 80. Think about that today. We want to write all things and say, well... You know, my prime time is done. I probably can't do much for the Lord. I'm going to go live on a nice house down in Florida and everything will be good till I pass away and see the Lord in heaven. <laughs> Moses has done none of that yet and he's 80 years old. What can God do with an 80-year-old man? He can change the world. Do you believe? I'm just challenging you guys today. Don't give up on the Lord. All right? You may think that you're weak or you're fragile or you're frail. You don't have much to offer. And by the way, we're not going to go into all that day, but Moses offers all those excuses to God. So much God even gets angry at him. <laughs> and finally God says, I'm going to give you your brother. He can speak for you, but you're going to do what I tell you. How many excuses are you making today? Huh? Again, if Brother John can sit down here and speak publicly in front of all of you and tell you his story, there's no reason why... There any of the rest of us can't share what God's done for us, right? The Lord is good. So God takes and he uses Moses. Moses goes and checks out the burning bush. The Lord speaks to him from the bush. Moses is afraid to look at God, but God is declaring to him that he's going to be used to rescue the Israelites from Egypt. God has heard the cry of his people and he will deliver. Amen. I sought the Lord and he heard me. And he delivered me from all my fears. That's what David says in Psalm 34. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and he delivered me from all my fears. Moses, you go. I'm going to do something amazing with you. Does God do something amazing with Moses? Oh, man. There's probably next to Abraham, no one else revered even nearly as close as Moses. Maybe Elijah. 
Moses, Elijah, and Abraham. <laughs> and it all started with a mom who put a little baby in a basket and stuck him in the Nile and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed that God would do something. Maybe today our church is the baby in the basket in the Nile. Right? What's God going to do? Can he do anything? Will anybody spot us? Maybe today it's in your own personal life. There's something going on and you feel like that God's not watching. He's not aware. And I'm begging you today, surrender, submit it to the Lord. Ask him to take control of the situation and then sit back and obey and then sit back and see what God can do. As we finish up this morning, think back over your life. When has God delivered you? When has God delivered you? All right. Monday night, sitting in the jail. Uh, two guys, one from California, one from Arizona. They told story after story when they had been shot. And these are the guys that would like pull up their side to show you the scars. And they could tell you that they weren't doing what was right. And yet for some reason, God had spared them. And one of the guys had just gotten baptized not long ago. And you could see it. You could feel it. It wasn't a jailhouse conversion. God was changing him. It was so awesome right? What's your story? When has God preserved you, right? In my own life, I was in a car, put it in neutral, went down my grandma's hill and into the lake, and God sent the mailman along to save me. I was in fifth grade and had 106 fever, and they sent me home with the flu. I came back on Wednesday because my grandpa carried me in <laughs> and said, Dr. Chili, what are you going to do with this boy? He's not right. Oh, his appendix has burst. I don't know if he's going to make it. And the Lord preserved me. I don't know why. But boy, I'm thankful for it, right? And then the Lord has given me, like John talked about, giving me people in my life to help me along the way. Wendy's been so good for me to help me be what I need to be. My kids have been good to encourage me and challenge me. People like you, the Lord's put in my life. All along the way, the Lord has been working to help me be what he wants me to be if I'll surrender and submit to him. How about you today? When has God delivered you? Has he delivered you? I'd say that he has. Maybe today you're wondering why God has preserved you. And I want to remind you today that if you are still breathing, you have a reason. Hello? Please tell this with people that, especially as we get older, this is our opportunity to share. People that can't get out of their house, God's not done with them. I dare say we get to heaven and we'll be looking around and the Lord will be handing out crowns and rubies and awards and things about that were people that were amazing. And I bet you that the people that are going to be the, the first in the line and the highest podium are going to be people that were on their knees praying because they couldn't do anything else. And nobody saw them, nobody heard them, but they were changing the course of history because their faith was in a great God and they prayed to him for him to move and to touch lives. Why has God preserved you? If you're breathing, you have a reason. Moses could have been thrown in the river without a basket. He could have been killed by Pharaoh after he killed the Egyptian. He could have been left out in the wilderness to die, but God was preparing him. For 80 years, he was preparing him. That's amazing. 80 years before he was ready. How's God been preparing you? I tell you today, our timing is not God's timing. Our job is to trust and obey. God is prepping you 
for your part in his story, in redemption history. You can submit or you can resist. That's your choices today. What will it be? I want to be part of redemption history, of his story. I want God to use my life however that can be for his glorification and my joy. And then when all is said and done, he can say, well done, good and faithful servant. Man, if he'd do that, I don't need anything else. How about you today? All right. Let's stand this morning and I'll go play at the piano as our practice. I just want to invite you to pray where you're at today or you can come to the altar and pray if you'd like today. And maybe there is something that's troubling you. Maybe it's your dealing with the Pharaoh of your life kind of thing. And the Lord is challenging you. He's calling you out to honor him and to trust him in the middle of some difficult circumstances. So let's, let's ask the Lord to be at work in our heart this morning. And then pray even for those around you here today. I know there's many with heavy hearts and pray for God to act and work on their behalf. Let's, let's take some time to pray this morning.